For those of you who do not know me, my name is Josh Kruger. Um, it's an honor to be here this morning. It's an honor to preach. If you're visiting with us today, um, welcome. Thank you for being here. At the end of our meeting, when you go out into the foyer, you'll see on the side there, there's a place called Connect, the Connect Desk, where you can go and you can learn something about our church, learn who we are. We'd love to learn who you are and what you're all about. If after this morning you doubt that it is fall, I can tell you you're in denial. <laughs> just, just so you know. I was quite amazed when I looked out the window and saw white outside. I'm like, what's this all about? It is October. November 22nd, 1963. The soap opera As the World Turns was airing on CBS when at around 1.40 Walter Cronkite broke into that show. No video, just voice because the TV cameras took too long to warm up at that time to video him. But he broke the horrific news that three shots were fired at the motorcade of President Kennedy in downtown Dallas. The first reports said that President Kennedy had been seriously wounded. Almost exactly an hour after the first bulletin, his famous announcement came from a very visibly shaken Cronkite. From Dallas, Texas, the flash telegram, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. A shocking and unspeakable day that was to the nation, a day that will live in infamy. There's been many days like this through human history, many days that are marked by atrocious events. December 7, 1941. I won't ask, but maybe you can test yourself here. The attack on Pearl Harbor. August 6, 1945. Atomic bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. April 15, 1912, the sinking of the Titanic. January 22, 1973, the U.S. Supreme Court gave their decision about Roe versus Wade effectively legalizing abortion. September 11, 2001, horrific attack on the Twin Towers in New York City and on the Pentagon. Horrific events, just a few of many thousands that's happened through the ages. Events that many people have been killed in and events that are unspeakable in many instances. But none of these events are as scandalous as the events that we will see as we look at this passage that we are going to look at this morning. This night that we will be looking at, this night was filled with betrayal and denial and desertion and violence. But then we'll see that this night was also filled with faithfulness. Yeah, it was filled with faithfulness because we will see as the sinless Son of God is arrested, 
by sinful men to be killed by those men as the innocent is about to die for the guilty, we will see that Jesus is faithful even when we are not. And so as we open to Mark in chapter 14 this morning, we will examine three parts. We'll look at the shocking denial. We'll look at the shameful betrayal. And we will look at scandalous grace. I'm going to ask you to keep your Bibles open. We're going to refer back to that passage several times. And I would like for you to look at it with me. Our text takes off right after Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He told his disciples that his body will be broken and his blood will be shed. And together they ate of the bread and they drank of the cup. And according to verse 26, they sang a hymn together before they went out to the Mount of Olives. As they walked to the Mount of Olives, they walked through the Valley of Kidron. And Jesus spoke these sobering words to his disciples in verse 27. You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. The words that Jesus spoke is from the Old Testament book of Zechariah, chapter 13 and verse 7. It says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. And we can only imagine the shock of the disciples When they heard these words, they have been walking with the Lord for several years now. They felt relationally close to him. They've seen him do miracles. They've heard him proclaim the truths of forgiveness. And they have they have given him their utter devotion. And now he's telling them that you all will fall away that you will forsake me even before the night was over. And I can just imagine that they were deeply troubled, deeply disturbed by these words. So it comes as no surprise when we see their passionate denying. Peter spoke first. Passionate, emotional Peter. You have to love this guy. If somebody's going to speak, Peter's going to speak. And so we see this dialogue between Peter and Jesus Starting in verse 29, Peter saying, Even though they all fall away, I will not. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter, now emphatically, it means forceful with no associated doubt. If I must die, I will not deny you. And we go, really, Peter? After all these years, you still think you can argue with Jesus. You'll notice that Jesus didn't go like, yes, you will. See, the reasons didn't do the reason Jesus said what he was saying was not an opinion. The reason Jesus told them what he just told them was not an argumentative 
point. The reason Jesus told them what he was telling them was to once again show them that he was the Christ, the Messiah. He just told them that this Old Testament prophecy said that the, the shepherd, the Messiah, will be stricken and that the sheep will scatter. So what Jesus is telling them by saying this to them is not, I want to argue with you that you're going to fall away. He is saying, tonight the prophecy will be fulfilled in me because I am the Christ. Peter didn't get this. None of the disciples got this. In verse 31, we see that, and they all said the same. Even if we have to die, we will not. Of course, in verse 50, we see the fulfillment of what Jesus told them earlier, that they they were going to abandon him. And we read the words, and they all left him and fled. This was mere hours after Jesus proclaimed that they would flee. Mere hours after they put up a big argument that even if we have to die, we will not. And it happened exactly as Jesus said it would. And the question that immediately floods our minds is why? Why would they abandon Jesus so quickly after they so vehemently said, we will not do this? These were his disciples. They knew him. They loved him. They followed him. And I want to ask them, guys, where where are your backbones? Why are you running away so quickly like dogs? And I do think it's important for us to understand why they ran away. Lest we judge them and think that we would have done anything different than what they would have done that night. You see, these, these verses remind us that self-righteousness and hypocrisy and spiritual failure is possible for any of us. At the end of our text this morning, there are these two strange verses about a guy with a linen cloth and then running away naked. And you have to wonder, what has this got to do with anything? But scholars are agreeing on this point that when Mark wrote those verses that he was probably referring to himself when he wrote that. And what Mark was doing by writing that was that he was associating with the disciples. He was in fact saying, I was no better than those who ran away. I just wrote to you how they deserted him. I am no different. I ran away also. And in fact, what those two verses also says is that it associates us with the disciples. As they ran away, we would have run away. So let me suggest a few possible reasons why they left and fled that morning. Obviously not an exhaustive list. I think they were afraid. Remember that they were mere men and they were faced by an angry armed mob. Now let me just tell you, this guy, when faced with the angry armed mob, typically I choose the flight part of the fight and flight thing. 
flight just seems easier. And I think that's what they did. They were just men. Here came a mob of many people armed to the teeth. They were afraid and they fled. They were weak men. Look at verse 38 when Jesus said, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This was late at night. They were weak as men and they were weak from fatigue. And because they were weak, they left and they fled. I also think that they left and fled because of failed agendas. With Jesus being arrested, things did not go the way that they thought things were supposed to go that night. And now the true priorities of these men would be exposed. You see, we only have, they only had two priorities. Either they, their priority was their own safety, their own status, their own position, and their own well-being, or their priority was to be obedient to Jesus even unto death, which I want to remind you of they just said that they would be. But here, only hours later, we see them fleeing, and what we see is that their priorities were revealed. Selfish, self-centering self-preserving priorities. They also fled because of unbelief. They've heard Jesus say many times that he will die, but they did not really believe it. They have seen Jesus. They've seen him have power over life and death, over, over sickness, over demons, and somehow they were waiting for him to just use his power and overthrow Rome. They did not believe that it will actually get to this point where Jesus will be arrested. They've seen his power. They were waiting for his power. And all of a sudden, when here comes a mob and they actually take him, the one that they thought and hoped would overthrow Rome, they were scared. They did not believe it would come to this. And so, church, do you realize that you and I have left him and fled many, many times? Have you ever been in a conversation with someone that makes fun of Jesus or speaks blasphemous about God? And even though you are burning on the inside, you kept quiet with your mouth because you did not want to ridicule yourself. You did not want to be ridiculed by those in the conversation, so you kept quiet. You left and you fled. Have you ever had a coworker or a friend at school that was sick that you thought, I need to pray for this person, that God will heal them. But then you backed down because you did not want people to think you're a weirdo. And in fact, you were wondering, I wonder if they'll even get healed when I pray for them. And then we leave 
and we flee. Or have you ever had an agenda that has been threatened when things did not go the way that you planned for them to go? And like the disciples in that moment, when things go different than what you think they should go, you really doubt whether God is good and whether God is able to take care of you and whether he really cares. And instead of worshiping him and trusting him with the difficulty and with the strangeness, we slowly pull away from him. And what we're doing is exactly what the disciples did that night. We are leaving and fleeing from him. I have done these things. I've done these things many times. I've left and I have fled. But maybe, maybe we flee because even though we have heard Jesus' teachings and we have seen him perform miracles and we have pledged allegiance to him, we have not truly experienced the radical transformation of the gospel in our lives. Yes, we are Christians, sure. But we continue to serve Jesus on our terms when it is safe and easy and comfortable and according to my plan. Yes, Lord, I will follow you to death. But when it becomes dangerous, when it becomes costly, when it takes courage, when it is different than what I think it should look like to follow Jesus then it is so easy to just leave and flee because it cost me so much. So we need to realize when we read about the disciples abandoning Jesus, we are reading about us abandoning Jesus so that we will not judge them and think we would do anything different. Oh, may God through His Holy Spirit empower us, church, to live radically devoted lives to Jesus Christ. Lives that are more devoted to Him than to our own comfort and our own safety and our own desires and our own plans. But the abandonment of Jesus did not start in verse 50 when they left and they fled. The abandonment started earlier When we look at verses 32 through 41, we see the events unfolding. Jesus and his disciples came to the Garden of Gethsemane and he took Peter and James and John and he went to pray. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. In verse 34, he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even unto death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it was possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. Remove this cup from me. Verse 37, and he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, interesting, Jesus is calling him by his previous name. 
not Peter, the rock, Simon. Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? And again he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? So here we see our Lord Jesus being greatly distressed, sorrowful unto death, asking God if the hour can be removed from him, asking God if the cup can be removed from him. Jesus is distressed and sorrowful unto death. Why? Well, he knew. He knew he was about to suffer intense physical pain and agony. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be mistreated. And ultimately, he was going to die on the cross. The cross was a slow and cruel and painful way of dying. And Jesus, the man, Jesus, the man, was afraid of what was before him. But then even more than that, Jesus knew that on that cross he was going to become sin. And for the first time in eternity, he was going to be separated from his father. Not only was he going to be separated, he was going to be judged. And he was going to be abandoned by his father. This was excruciating to our Lord. He lived in eternity in perfect unity and harmony with the Father. And now the perfect sinless Lamb is going to become sin. And He will experience the full, unrestrained wrath of a perfect, holy God against Him. Which is what the reference of drinking the cup is. Church, if anyone ever has had reason to be afraid, to be distressed, to be sorrowful, it was Jesus in this very moment. And in this most agonizing moment, his three closest friends abandoned him. They could not stay awake for one hour. It's heartbreaking. The one who came to lay down his life for us, abandoned in his moment of greatest need. If you're human, you have felt the pain of abandonment. If you've lived more than a week, you've probably felt it. Maybe a husband or a wife has abandoned you. Maybe parents have abandoned you. Maybe a child has abandoned you. Maybe a good friend has abandoned you. And so you are familiar with this type of pain that Jesus was feeling that morning. As his disciples slept. I have. I've felt that pain. 
And I know many of you have felt it before, and I know that some of you are feeling that pain right now. And I want to tell you this morning, church, that there is one who will never abandon you, Jesus Christ. You see, he felt that abandonment, he endured that abandonment so that you will not ever have to be abandoned by him. When the world abandons you, you have a faithful Savior who will not do that. He understands what you go through. He loves you. He is God Emmanuel, God with us. He will not abandon you. Hebrews 4 and verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So know this morning, if you are feeling the pain of abandonment in your life, that the Lord Jesus Christ will never abandon you. He is your God, Emmanuel. But if this denial and abandonment of Jesus was not enough, we see one more scandalous event that took place that night. The shameful betrayal of our Lord Jesus. Jesus foretold this betrayal Earlier in the passage in verse 18, you'll see it says, And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And now in this passage we see it being fulfilled. After finding the three asleep for the third time, Jesus uttered these words, It is enough. The hour has come the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And so we're told that the leader of this mob coming is Judas. He is a man who has walked with Jesus in intimate fellowship for three years. He has heard the gospel of grace preached on many occasions, yet Judas rejected the gospel in the same way that he rejected Jesus. It's pretty clear from Scripture that, G- that Judas was following Jesus for money's sake. And when you read in John, ver- in John 12, you'll see that he took money from the money bag that supported Jesus and his disciples. He probably believed that Jesus was going to establish a new kingdom in Israel. And he followed him because he wanted in on the action. He wanted some position, and he wanted money. So when it became clear that Jesus was not going to overthrow Rome and establish a new kingdom here, that he was not going to make his followers rich people, Judas turned and he fulfilled a prophecy in Zechariah 11. And he betrayed the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And we see his accomplices. His accomplices were none other than the Jewish Sanhedrin. Remember that they were the Jewish leaders, the scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees. 
Friends, Judas's betrayal serves as a warning to you and me of the dangers of hypocrisy. This is a topic that we've covered a couple of times now as we've studied through the book of Mark. Hypocrisy. Remember how when Jesus came to the tree that bore leaves but no fruit, he cursed it because it spoke of hypocrisy. The tree said, I have fruit, and the tree did not have fruit. Judas's lives Life said, I love you, I follow you, I support you. But there was no fruit. He was a hypocrite. And so we see it would have been better for a man, that man, if he had not been born. That's what it says in verse 21. He heard the truth. He saw the truth. He even acknowledged the truth. But he did not believe the truth about Jesus. It's sobering because you and I have to ask ourselves the question today and every other day. Do we only acknowledge the truth about Jesus Christ? Or do we believe the truth about Jesus Christ? You see, the, the answer will come in the fruit that we bear. If we believe in Jesus Christ, we will follow Jesus Christ. We will be obedient to Jesus Christ. We will not leave him and flee from him. We will serve him. Do you believe this morning that Jesus came as the perfect sacrifice for your sin? And that on the cross he became sin? So that you do not have to taste the wrath of God. So that you could be reconciled with the Holy Father. So that you can be free from sin. Church, do you realize that believing that, believing the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way to have access to heaven. It is the only way to ever be acceptable before God. Only acknowledging this is not good enough. We have to believe this because then there will be fruit associated with that. We will serve Jesus because we love him. See, when you reach the end of your life, all the years of your existence will be condensed down to only one question. What did you do with Jesus Christ? What did you do with Jesus Christ? Nothing else will be important. Nothing else will matter. Nothing else will be considered. What did you do with Jesus Christ? Did you have a relationship with Him? Did you submit to His will? Did you live for Him here on earth? And the answer to that question will determine whether you live in eternal harmony with Him or live in eternal damnation in hell? It's a question we have to ask ourselves, church. We may not live hypocritical lives. But this night is not a scandalous night only because of the shocking denial and the shameful betrayal that we have seen No, it is also so because of the scandalous grace 
on display that night. And as we dig deeper into this, we will see that Jesus is faithful even when we are not faithful. You see, the events that I mentioned in the beginning, in the introduction, all those dates that I mentioned, these were scandalous events. They were unthinkable, shocking, improper events. In a sense, the grace of God extended to us is a scandalous thing. It's unthinkable and shocking and improper. It's not scandalous because it's atrocious like those other events. It is scandalous because it is undeserving, it is unmerited, it is unprovoked, and it is extravagant. The high king of heaven laid down his life for a sinful people to redeem us, to set us free. That's unthinkable. It's scandalous. And in this passage, there are several places where Jesus' extravagant grace is evident. I want to highlight two of those. We saw earlier in verse 27, Jesus said, you will all fall away. And we saw the shock of the disciples and we saw them denying that they will do that. But then we saw it actually happened. The next sentence Jesus spoke Highlights amazing grace. Look at verse 28. He said, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. These are significant, meaningful words. Because although Jesus was telling them that they would desert him, he was not speaking judgment over them only. In fact, the the words in verse 28 are words of tremendous hope for them. There are two promises in those few words. There's a promise of resurrection and there's a promise of restoration. After I am risen is a promise of resurrection. It must have been comforting words to the disciples who have heard earlier that night that he will be broken, that his blood will be shed, that he will be killed, to hear that he is going to be resurrected. And so what he was saying to them is, yes, I will die. Yes, I will be broken. Yes, I will hang on that cross until I breathe my last breath. But death will not hold me. I will arise. I will be victorious over death. I will conquer death. So take heart. It is a promise of resurrection. Then he said, I will go before you to Galilee. It's a promise of restoration. Jesus just told them that they will desert him, abandon him, and fail him. And we already saw that that came true. But these words, I will go before you to Galilee... These are words that says, I will restore relationship with you. And I promise it even before relationship is broken. Even before they left him, he already said, I will go before you to Galilee. He's saying, I will restore what will be broken tonight. And it is a promise of restoration. 
Jesus is showing that he is faithful and will remain faithful even though they will not be faithful. There's another place there where we see evidence of his scandalous grace. Verse 36 says, And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. And then these words, Yet not what I will, but what you will. We saw earlier that Jesus experienced significant emotional anxiety and fear in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was greatly distressed and greatly troubled. He said, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. Yet, even while enduring this immense pressure, Jesus decided not to do his own will, but to do the will of his Father. Jesus could have left right there. Do you realize that Jesus did not have to go to the cross? He was not forced onto the cross. Jesus chose to go to the cross for you and for me. In John 10 and verse 17, Jesus said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. And so in this time of distress, Jesus chooses not to do what he wanted to do, the cup be removed from him. He chose to be obedient to the call of his Father to submit himself on that cross for our sake. And he was obedient unto death. There are two reasons. There were two reasons why he was willing to do that. One is that he was obedient to the Father. Philippians 2 verse 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Church, you and I are called to be obedient. And Jesus shows us the way. Unfortunately, much of Christianity, sadly, has become like a man or a woman who have a tailored suit or dress made for them. That goes to a tailor and go like, make a suit that fits me just right. May not fit that guy, but it needs to fit me just right. And so, so many people want to have a Christianity that fit them just right. And what they don't like should be tailored off on this side and should be shorter there because it needs to fit me just right. Friends, it's not what Jesus did. Jesus did not have a tailored gospel. Jesus was obedient on the cross. You and I are called to be set apart, to be light in the darkness. We are called to make disciples and live holy lives and resist sin. And we need to be obedient to the call of God, like Jesus was obedient to the call of his Father, even unto death. How are you doing with obeying the Lord? If you're struggling like me, 
We should ask him. We should ask him through his spirit to give us willing hearts to obey him. Not to do what feels right and comfortable, but to do what he has called us to do. There's a second reason Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross because he loved us. Romans 5 and verse 8, this very well-known passage says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. On that scandalous night, our Lord's determination to endure whatever came his way so that he might give his life as a ransom for many was scandalous grace to you and to me. He proved faithful when we are not faithful. Church, without his obedience of that night, without him laying down his own will and doing what he was called to do, there would have been no salvation for us and no hope for us. He accomplished what no one else could. He made a way where there was no way. If this passage demands anything from us, church, it demands our worship. This passage should drive us to our knees in worship. It should lift up our hearts in worship. It should cause us to want to rejoice and sing in worship because of the glorious King who gave exceptional mercy to you and to me that day when he endured being denied, being forsaken, and he was obedient unto death. Let us worship him together as a church. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, when we look at this passage, our hearts are overwhelmed with thankfulness for what you have done for us. If you did not go to the cross, we would have been lost. But because of your absolute obedience, we are men and women who are saved by your grace. We thank you for that. Thank you for your obedience and for loving us. Lord, we want to worship you because you are worthy of all our worship. We love you and we want to live lives that honor and respect you and are obedient to you. But we are weak and therefore we ask, Lord, that you will through your spirit empower us to live such obedient lives. Help us to be obedient to you.